and to place a room in the great Nursky Palace. No hint of war, no breath from the snowy streets, entered that curious chamber where Prince Peter Nursky kept some of the chief of his famous treasures. It was notable for its lack of drapery and upholstering. Only a sofa or two and a few fine rugs on the cedar floor. The walls were of a green marble veined like malachite, The ceiling was of darker marble inlaid with white intaglios. Scattered everywhere were tables and cabinets laded with Saladin china and carved jade and ivories and shimmering Persian and Rhodian vessels. In all the room there was scarcely anything of metal and no touch of gilding or bright colour. The light came from green alabaster censers and the place swam in a cold green radiance like some cavern below the sea. The air was warm and scented, and though it was very quiet there, a hum of voices and the strains of dance music drifted to it from the pillared corridor in which could be seen the glare of light from the great ballroom beyond. The young man had a thin face with lines of suffering round the mouth and eyes. The warm room had given him a high colour, which increased his air of fragility. He felt a little choked by the place, which seemed to him for both body and mind a hothouse, though he knew very well that the Nursky Palace on this gala evening was in no way typical of the land or its masters. Only a week ago he had been eating black bread with its owner in a hut on the Volnian front. You have become amazing, Saskia, he said. I won't pay my old playfellow compliments. Besides, you must be tired of them. I wish you happiness all the day long like a fairy tale princess. But a croc like me can't do much to help you to it. The service seems to be the wrong way round, for here you are wasting your time talking to me. She put her hand on his. Poor Quentin, is the leg very bad? He laughed. <laughs> oh no. It's mending famously. I'll be able to get about without a stick in another month, and then you've got to teach me all the new dances. The jigging music of a two-step floated down the corridor. It made the young man's brow contract, for it brought to him a vision of dead faces in the gloom of a November dusk. He had once had a friend who used to whistle that air, and he had seen him die in the Hollebeck mud. There was something macabre in the chin. He was surely morbid this evening, for there seemed something macabre about the house, the room, the dancing, all Russia. These last days, he had suffered from a sense of calamity impending, of a dark curtain drawing down upon a splendid world. They didn't agree with him at the embassy, but he could not get rid of the notion. The girl saw his sudden abstraction, What are you thinking about? she asked. It had been her favourite question as a child. I was thinking that I rather wished you were still in Paris. But why? Because I think you would be safer. Oh, what nonsense, Quentin, dear. Where should I be safe if not in my own Russia, where I have friends, oh, so many, and tribes and tribes of relations? It is France and England that are unsafe with the German guns grumbling at their doors. My complaint is that my life is too cosseted and padded. I am too secure, and I do not want to be secure. 
The young man lifted a heavy casket from a table at his elbow. It was of dark green imperial jade, with a wonderfully carved lid. He took off the lid and picked up three small oddments of ivory, a priest with a beard, a tiny soldier, and a draught ox. Putting the three in a triangle, he balanced the jade box on them. Look, Saskia, if you were living inside that box, you would think it very secure. You would note the thickness of the walls and the hardness of the stone, and you would dream away in a peaceful green dusk. But all the time, it would be held up by trifles, brittle trifles. She shook her head. You do not understand. You cannot understand. We are a very old and strong people, with roots deep, deep in the earth. Please God you are right, he said. But Sas-